Sunday morning, and this is December the 23rd, 2018. I've been teaching to you about Christmas. What's so wrong with Christmas? What's so bad about it? How does it affect your life as a believer in America? It doesn't seem that bad. Seems like a pretty easy, uh, nice thing uh, to get together and just fellowship with your family and kind of drop all differences and go ahead and hold hands with each other, even if your brother-in-law is a drunkard, if your sister-in-law cusses like a sailor. It's okay at this time of the year. And what's so bad about accepting a gift from somebody? A gift is, the Bible says, a gift blinds the eyes. Christmas hurts families. And this morning I want to try to impart to you along with next Sunday morning. I can't do this all in one lesson. I've told you before how America was not founded on Christianity. I've got an article here. Let me read a little bit to you out of it. One of the many attacks on our country from the religious right is that the claim of our country is a Christian nation. Not just that the majority of people are Christians, but that the people itself was founded by by the country itself was founded by Christians for Christians. However, little research into American history will show you that this statement is a lie. These people who spread this lie are known as Christian revisionists. They are attempting to rewrite history in much the same way as the Holocaust deniers are. The men responsible for building the foundation of the United States were men of the Enlightenment, not men of Christianity. They were deists who did not believe the Bible was true. Thomas Jefferson didn't believe in the Bible. He took a razor blade and cut out all references to miracles, to the resurrection, and to the virgin birth. He didn't believe in any of that. And he threw away everything in the New Testament except the Gospels. He also threw away the Old Testament, said we didn't need that. And Thomas Jefferson said the book of Revelation was the ravings of a maniac. That was one of our so-called founding fathers. Even during his lifetime, he wasn't looked at as a founding father. He was looked at as a slick businessman by his cohorts that time. If the U.S. was founded on the Christian religion, the Constitution would clearly say so, but it does not. Nowhere does the Constitution say the United States is a Christian nation or anything even close to that. In fact, the words Jesus Christ, Christianity, Bible, Creator, Divine, and God are never mentioned in the Constitution. Not even once. Nowhere in the Constitution is religion mentioned except in exclusionary terms. When the founders wrote the nation's constitution, they specified that no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. This vision was radical in its day, giving equal citizenship to 
believers and non-believers alike, they wanted to ensure that no religion could make the claim of being the official national religion as England had or as as Spain had. How Spain is a is a Roman Catholic country. Italy is a Roman Catholic country run by uh, Roman Catholics, and the Church of England rules more or less England. The Declaration of Independence gives us important insight into the opinions of the Founding Fathers. Thomas Jefferson wrote that the power of government is derived from the governed. Up until that time, it was claimed that kings rule nations by the authority of God. The Declaration was a radical departure from the idea that the power rule over other people comes from God. It was a letter from the colonies to the English king stating their intentions to separate themselves. The declaration is not a governing document. Not. It mentions nature's God, divine providence. But as you will see soon, that's the language of deism, not Christianity. What is deism? What is a deity? Thomas Jefferson... George Washington, Ben Franklin, I'm not the one that called them, called them deist. They were self-proclaimed deist. They said there was a God out there that spun everything in orbit and walked away from it and said, you will take care of this. America has never been Christian. The people in it were not Christians. Most of them were not. Some of the Puritans, some of the Pilgrim were, but not all of them. If you're going to read the Puritans, even if you're going to read the Reformers, you need to know who you're reading because they're all not the same. Even the founding fathers of Christianity were not the same. If you read Ignatius, he was very conservative. So was Irenaeus. So was Polycarp. Cyprian was somewhere off in left field, and Tertullian was kind of a wacko. So you can't believe them when they're trying to expand their Christianity. America's not Christian. They celebrate Christmas or Christ's Mass. And I want to tell you what's wrong with that. I wrote a, a, a track. It's over here. I got several tracks on Christianity, on Christmas, excuse me. And I got one, what's so bad about Christmas? And you might call this message this morning, what's so bad about Christmas and how does it affect you? The pagan festival of Christmas or Christ Mass, which is Roman Catholicism, is a tradition that is highly esteemed among the peoples of the world. The Bible says in Luke 16:15, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. The word abomination is the word delegma, B-D-E-L-U-G-M-A, B-D-E-L-U-G-M-A. It means to stink. Do you want to celebrate something that stinks in God's nostrils? It will make you spiritually drunk. It will make you drunk. It will make you stagger. You will be confused. And you will live just like a drunk, staggering around in life, knowing what, knowing not what you really need to be doing. I'm going to talk about either this week or next week, spiritual drunkenness and how that is going to affect you. Now, what is Christmas highly esteemed among men? 
let me put it this way the gangster the thief the homosexual the prostitute the abortionists all hate the word of god when he said thou shalt not yet they will party and involve themselves in the wickedest immoral acts while embracing the traditions of the christ mass many who attend church regularly while refusing to live righteously keep it as their favorite festival and holiday the business person who is unethical and immoral in business dealings at christmas time will disavow their marriage vows in order to have a sexual encounter at a christmas party while getting drunk all in the name of jesus birth it's a time of compromise for many who will call themselves quote christian unquote setting aside witnessing calling men to repentance they'll set that aside while they get together until january playboy magazine has their christmas issue while liquor stores decorate with wreaths and holiday cheer christians are commanded to separate from such ungodliness in second corinthians 6 14 through 17 celebrant stuff and glut themselves with material things and all kinds of delectable foods while the world is destitute and starving physically and spiritually christmas is a time when true believers are expected to sit down at a family gathering and passing out free forgiveness forgiveness is not free you have to be rebuked and repent in order to be forgiven and to pass out free forgiveness to unrepentant sinners as they curse and tell their off-color stories forgiveness is never an initial act it is always a response to repentance paul said that we are not to eat or communicate with brothers living in rebellion against god we're not talking about heathens just with brothers living in rebellion against god we're not to partake or walk in unfruitful unfruitful works of darkness as they walk disorderly and not in the ways of god and you'll find that in first corinthians 5 and 9 in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.6 and 14, if anyone doesn't walk according to this word that I'm preaching, Paul said, avoid these people and rebuke them if their brothers rebuke them so that they'll be ashamed. We will be persecuted for this kind of testimony. That's the reason people don't want to have it, because they don't want to be persecuted. This minute segment of the world is partying and lulling themselves into an easy religion with no striving or wrestling over sin at the Christmas season, while the world is dying in starvation and squalor and disease without Christ. To celebrate Christmas is is to honor Him... To honor him is to keep his sayings 
if we are to honor him, we will dispense with vain traditions. We will get Christ out of the mass. When people say, put Christ back in Christmas, Christmas is Christ mass. The mass is Roman Catholicism. <clears throat> and they will throw out the pagan birthday of Hercules or Mithra, which is December the 25th, the sun god of the ancient world. His birthday, birthday was December the 25th. We will remember we will remember Jesus' birth every day and we'll and we'll we separate we will sep not we will separate not separate him from the resurrection. There is only one pure ritual. The Bible says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father's that is to visit the fatherless and the widow and their affliction and keep yourself unspotted from the world. Pure religion, threskia, T H R E S K E I A. Pure religion, hagios, H A G, hagnos comes from the word hagios. Threskia means ritual. There's only one pure ritual, and that is to visit the fatherless. The word fatherless is orphanos. It's the same word. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, and that's the Holy Spirit. Those without the Holy Spirit, the fatherless and the widow, Kira, C-H-E-I-R-A, is a widow, is one without a husband. That's the church, without husband. This is the only pure religion. This is what I do every day. I do not boast in this. I go out and witness to people every day, and I'm looking for the husband of Christ, which is the church. I'm looking for the wife of Christ, which is the church. Let me read the rest of this. There's only one pure ritual. It is not Christmas, Easter, or Valentine's. James tells us pure religion and undefiled, uncontaminated is the visit of fatherless and the widows in their affliction, the church under persecution, and keep yourselves unspotted, pure, from the world. That's James one twenty seven. Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me in Matthew 25 and 40. <clears throat> this is true ritual, religion, with which... We are to celebrate Jesus daily. I've had people say, don't you want to take a day off to celebrate Christ? I say, I don't have time to take a day off to celebrate Jesus. I'm talking about him every day to somebody out in public, to my doctors, to lawyers, to people at the grocery store, wherever I go. I've got a pocket full of DVDs. I carry them with me. I hand them out. I don't have time to take a day off for Jesus. All the things that a man esteems, position, awards, money, titles, recognition, tradition, material things, the seeking of self is an abomination to God. Now, this is a powerful track. You ought to pick those up and pass them out. I got 
several Christmas tracts over there. The only thing that honors Christ is the seeking after and concern for others, spiritual and physical, and never self. Philippians 2, 4 and 5, I've quoted that over and over. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is the mind of Christ. Let this be in you. The natural, sinful, sensual man who loves and highly esteems the traditions of the world always despises the atoning blood of Christ. The man that loves Christmas doesn't really like Jesus' blood. He don't want to be told death to self. Blood baptism means a death. They hold Jesus' words in contempt, refusing to live in daily repentance and submission to the commandment of God. Man will not cease from sin until God moves on his heart to live holy before him throughout the year. That's really what we should be doing and dispense with the Christ Mass. It is heathenism. It is the Mass of Roman Catholicism. Christmas, I've really been... I did a message on TV the other night. Christmas is insanity. That's what it is. When you're insane, you're not bothered so bad. Not so much. I keep saying that... that... uh, Insanity, you don't have to be out here at the booby hatch at Central State to be insane. All you have to be is have the inability to think rationally. What keeps you from thinking rational is you've lived under You're irrational. You are irrational. What makes you irrational is what makes you drunk. You have a mixed religion. You have a mixed religion. You have a little little bit of God... A little bit of truth, just enough to pacify the so-called conservative believers in America, and you have a whole lot of a whole lot of a lie. That's what a drunken elixir was. It was a mixed religion. It's a mixed drink. What do you mean by mixed drink, Jim? Well, we have some of Jesus and some of of a lie. I've got a book. I've brought this out before. When the Bible talks about being drunk, it usually is talking about spiritual drunkenness. This is a book on wines of the Bible that everybody needs to get a copy of this because you could not make a drunken elixir. It was an art to make a drunken elixir. You could not take the wine off of a vine 
and get drunk on it or just store it till it fermented. If you just took the wine off of the vine, it would ferment if it aged and it would be too sour to drink. So what they had to do, there was an art to making a drunken wine. You had to have so much of the grape juice. You had to have exact amount, not too much. Have it have an exact amount of the uh, sugar, Sweetness. not too much. It had to be exactly right because it would not age right if you didn't. And it had to be aged at lukewarm or room temperature. That's exactly what the Lord told the church of Laodicea. They said, we are rich, we have need of nothing. And he said, you're lukewarm, and when you're lukewarm, you're a drunken election, and I'll vomit you out and spew you out of my mouth. And that's what's wrong with America. They are drunk. That's why they don't think there's anything really bad about Christmas. Let me read you a couple of things out of this book. Huh. I don't you're drunk, you can't think rational. You can't think rational. You have been taught something so long. He says the laws of nature are facts always and everywhere the same. Not only are gravitation and evaporation the same in all parts of the world, but also in all ages. The devout Christian has nothing to fear from the discoveries of true science. He's talking about everything being in exact harmony. Then Dr. Ur, in his <clears throat> Dictionary of Arts, says, Juice, when newly expressed and before it began to ferment, is called must. And that's what they would do. It's called must. We would call it concentrate. <clears throat> M-U-S-T. Since they lived in such a hot, arid land, what they wanted was to get cold water. The place that they got cold water was down in the ground, those those real deep rivers in the bottom of the ground. The largest rivers in the world are underground. That's what the scientists will tell us. And they called that living water because it was pure. It was cold water. And they usually had to keep their water in cisterns where they had flies and all kinds of gnats uh, laying eggs in it, and they had to try to purify the water. What they wanted was pure water. That's why Jesus told the woman at the Jacob's well in northern Israel in John the fourth chapter, I'll give you living water. It won't be this water in this country. You'll never thirst again. And the Jews said the purest thing they could put upon their lips in Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, was the pure blood of the grape. What they would do, they would take the grape, they would tread the wine out, and it would be fresh. And if they wanted to have grape juice to drink, they would put it in goatskin bags. They would dig a deep hole and put it in there so that when it came time to use it, they could dig it up. That would be their refrigerator. They, If they tried to get the fresh grape juice to to age, it didn't work. Whenever you see wines in the Bible, you got to stipulate what the word is. You had yayin, you had oinos, you had these different wines. Yayin was strong drink. When the Bible says, 
One is a mock, a strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You're deceived by that. And America is spiritually drunk on the wine. And Christmas is just one of the things. Let me read some more in here. The wine was sometimes preserved in its unfermented state and drunk as must. That was they buried in the ground. The laws of fermentation are fixed facts, operating always in the same way and requiring always everywhere the same conditions. First of all, there must be saccharin or sugar, matter and gluten, yeast, and yeast is a form of leaven, and that was a type of sin throughout the Bible. The temperature should not be below 50 degrees nor above 70 degrees or 75 at the most. The juice must be a certain consistency. Thick syrup will not undergo venous fermentation. An excess of sugar is unfavorable to this process. And on the other hand, too little sugar, or which is the same thing, too much water will be deficient in necessary quantity of saccharin matter to produce a liquor that will keep. To make a fermented wine, one that will make you drunk, was an art. It's not something that just happened. The quantity of gluten or ferment also must be well regulated. Too much or too little will impede the, pre the and prevent fermentation. The indisputable conditions for venous fermentation are the exact portions proportions of sugar, of gluten and yeast and of water and the temperature of the, of the air ranging between 50 and 75 degrees. That is lukewarm. That's why God said he'll spew those people out of his mouth over there, the seventh church of the seven churches of Asia. Count Chaptel, the eminent French chemist, says, Nature never forms spiritous liquors. It doesn't happen in nature. She rots the grape upon the vine. That's what happens when it just stays upon the vine. It is art which converts the juice into alcoholic wine. That's the biblical, out of a biblical commentary. Professor Turner, in his chemistry, says of alcohol, it does not exist ready form in the plants. Adam Fabroni the Italian writer says grape juice does not ferment in the grape itself. Dr. Pira, grape juice does not ferment in the grape itself. This is owing not solely to Fabroni, supposed to the gluten being contained in distinct cells. Professor Labib, the eminent chemist, remarks, it is contrary to all sober rules of research to regard the vital process of an animal or a plant as the cause of fermentation. And let me see if I got something here. Some else I want to read. There is so much. If you'll get this, this will tell you. There's all these different words for wine in the Bible, and you have to be going by the right one. Just to say that Jesus drank wine doesn't mean anything. You had sweet wine, you had ornos, you had giant, you had many different kinds of wines that were in the Bible. And Jesus would not drink the fermented wine because it was full of leaven or yeast, and that's a type of sin. They could not have been drinking fermented wine at the Passover. It's against God's law to have fermentation or leaven in the Passover. That could not have been could, impossible according to God's law. In fact, the morning of the Passover, 
the homeowner had to go throughout the house, take all the leaven out of the house he could find. They would get a lamp, a little taper. They would call it a candle in King James Bible, but have oil in it. They'd have a taper out here. They'd light that, get out on the hands and knees and look for the leaven. And when they found it, they'd take it outside and burn it. It could not possibly be fermented wine in the Passover. It's just disgusting that people won't find out what that means. I got so much more here on this. I'd like to read. Maybe I'll come back and read some more next week. That's what I'll do. I got many more things to say. Now, you want to look at this? Come up here and look at it after church. It was written. It's Bible Wines by William Patton. Excellent book. Fantastic book. It'll straighten you out on wines. Then when you find the word drunken all through the Bible, nearly every time it's used, it speaks. You know what's wrong with America? They're dr drunk with the wine of the fornication of Babylon. The Bible speaks of being drunk with the wine of her fornication. What was her fornication? What was Babylon built upon? Genesis 11 and 4. Here's the drunkenness right here. This is the mixture. 11 and 4. Revelation always come over here because this is the end of the book. Revelation 17 and 5 says Babylon is the mother of harlots. The mother. A mother gives birth to, nurtures, and feeds the harlots. Harlot is the word pornea. P-O-R-N-E-A. Pornea. It means idolatry. And idolatry is the word idololatria. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. It comes from ido, meaning to, to see, and latruo, meaning to serve. It means when you see something and you hear it, you begin to serve what you hear and you see and what you want. I want that. I see it and I hear it. I want it. And that's covetousness. The Bible says covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness, P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S. Pleonectes is the word covetous means to want more however you can get it. What if I said Christmas gifts? Uh, we're going to talk talk about the Bible says over and over again a gift blinds the eye. Now, when when you're just starting to learn that Christmas is pagan, one of the first things your neighbor will do, they since you're such good friends with them, they'll say, "Well, we know you don't celebrate Christmas, but." I brought you this gift, and I know you won't mind this. This is just a little bit of something, how much we love you. That's going to blind your eyes, and you're going to say, well, okay, I, I, I don't want to make you mad, and thank you very much. And what you've done, you've crossed the line. If you don't take a stand, then it'll take you three or four years of taking a stand and being firm to get over that because they're going to walk away and say, she didn't mean what she said. He didn't mean what he said. If you think I'm kidding about that, bring me a gift today or tomorrow, a Christmas gift. Watch me. I said, no, you take it back. If you don't take it back, I'm going to put it in the garbage. 
I don't care what's in it. If there's a thousand dollar bill in it, don't do this to me. And I won't be mean. And what a gift does, it will bind your eyes. It's called a bribe to kind of get on your good side. It don't mean somebody has to be mean to do that. Once you compromise at Christmas, it's hard to get, it's hard. Nearly impossible to gain those people's confidence again. You have to take a stand. Now, where did all this, how this come from? Christmas is adding to the Word of God, isn't it? Isn't it? The Bible says we can't add to the Word of God. He says we keep, we keep the, we don't keep the customs of the heathen. Look over here at Leviticus 18. Leviticus, the 18th chapter. Somebody wrote to me and said, what does that mean? Well, I'll show you here. Leviticus 18. In verse... Verse 30. Therefore shall you keep mine ordinance, uh, my rituals, my spiritual rituals, that you commit not any one of these abominable customs. He's talking about everything that's happening in this chapter. Everything in it. One of the customs, he says, which were committed before you, that you defile not yourself, you become defiled, tamay, you're fouled, you're contaminated, you defile not yourselves then. I'm the Lord your God, you do what I say. One of the things he's talking about in verse 21, Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch, neither shalt thou profane the name or the authority of God. I am the Lord. Moloch was the fire god. That's what Israel worshipped. And they worshipped the fire god in several forms. Shemash, Molech, Malcolm, Milcom, the Ashtaroth, the Grove, all of that. I gave you a copy of that paper, I believe it was, last week. And look over here in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 1. And now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes, unto the, to the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word of God which I command you. The word is Yasaf. Y-A-C-A-P-H. It means to augment, to build upon. Don't put anything to God's word. That's what the Christ Mass is. The Mass is eating human flesh. It's cannibalism. When a priest raises the Eucharist up and says, Hoc est corpus and he says it turns into the literal body of Christ, and they say they have to eat that every day, three or four times at the Masses all through the world, in every church. Jesus is being crucified thousands of times daily. They call that a sacrifice of the Mass. And the Bible says in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, He is the one sacrifice offered once for all, one time. Our problem is we want to stick our opinions in there. He says, You do not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish 
Garah, shave off. Don't you take anything away from the word of God. And I could spend hours just on these two words right there. What men have added and taken away from the word of God. They have added accept Christ. They have added the sinner's prayer for salvation. Do I believe sinners will pray after they're born again? You cannot pray and ask God for anything until he is till he births you. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You have to believe God before you can pray for anything. And look over here at one of my favorite verses in all the Bible that you're not that you're not supposed to do. Deuteronomy is right before they enter into the land and take possession of the land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And over in Deuteronomy 12, I love this verse here. Verse 29, when the Lord your God shall cut off the nations from before you. When when they're in Deuteronomy, if this is a Mediterranean Sea, here's Egypt, here's the wilderness, and here's Israel. And right before they enter into the land is the book of Deuteronomy. And he has killed off all unbelief for 40 years, all the unbelievers who wouldn't go in and, and attack the land of the Anakims. He said, I'll kill off all the unbelievers. So these are all believers when you're in Deuteronomy. And he says in verse 29, When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before you when you go in to possess the land, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest these pagans, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all these ites, and thou succeedest them and dwellest in their land, take heed to yourself, Israel, church, take heed that thou be not snared by following them after that they be destroyed from before thee. Don't follow in their ways, and I love this next sentence. And that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these people serve their gods? What kind of a tree did they set up and worship? Even so will I do likewise. Don't he notice he didn't say there, don't serve their gods. He said, Don't inquire how did they serve their gods so we can keep their rituals and do it innocently. There's no such thing as Christmas being innocent. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. I don't want you to find out how they did it. And America's doing it. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. I could spend a half a day on that. I don't have time. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto. Word add, Yasof, same word as the fourth chapter. And nor diminish from it. That's the same word over in the fourth chapter. Garah means to shave off anything. Don't add or take away anything from the word of God. Now look over here in Proverbs, the 30th chapter. What America has done is added all this to God's Word. I don't care how innocent you think it is, it's not. It'll make your life drunk. 
You'll be staggering around. You'll be spiritually sick. And you'll wonder why you're so miserable in this world when you're a believer and you're not supposed to be partaking with the world. This is the hardest message I preach is separating from the world. Proverbs 30. I love this message here. Proverbs 30. I'll be there in a minute. Just wait for me. All right. Proverbs, the 30th chapter. Look at verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in them. Add thou not unto his words. That word add is the word yasaf. Same word as we found in Deuteronomy 12. Same word as Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. Lest he reprove thee, and if you add, you will be found to be a liar. The people that want to make an excuse for Christmas or Christ Mass, you say, I thought you had to be intentionally not telling the truth. If you spew something out and you don't check it out and find out, whether it's right or not, if it's wrong, you're still lying if you're doing it ignorantly. If you're a math teacher and you try to teach everything that's not math in a math class, you're lying to your students. If you don't know what the Bible is about, you're lying when you stand up and read three or four verses and shout and tell stories for 45 minutes. That's what my father used to do. You're lying to the congregation. <clears throat> Add not thou... <clears throat> unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou found to be alive. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither power, poverty nor riches. Don't give me either one. Feed me with food that is convenient for me. What is convenient for us? Huh? Nomos is the Greek word law means legal food for sheep. I thought God wants us to have everything. No, he doesn't. Sometimes God wants us to be empty and be hungry. Does the Bible say that? Yeah. And people misquote this verse in Philippians, the fourth chapter, all the time. Running backs in the NFL will quote this verse and have it tattooed on their chest or on their forehead or somewhere. And they have no idea what it's about. Look at Philippians 4. God doesn't want you always to have plenty of money. Read verse 12. Read What did you say? Okay, I'll read 12. I'll read... Uh, uh, well, I'll read down to there in chapter 30. Go back to verse 9. Lest I be full and deny thee and say. See, when you get full, you deny Christ. Who is And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Accuse not a servant unto his master, lest he curse thee and thou be found guilty. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. That is America. I don't believe in the churches in America. I don't know the preacher I believe in. Because I don't hear anybody that is preaching everything that we're preaching. 
I'll say something here, and I don't mean this is a boast. This depresses me. I'm the only preacher that I know of that's trying to preach the entire Word of God. Christmas is pagan. Easter is pagan. God doesn't love everybody. Baptism is not water. It's blood. They were not eating crackers and drinking grape juice. They were eating the last Passover, and we're in a spiritual Passover. I don't know anybody that preaches all this. Now look here. Where was I going? Philippians. Four. You're not always supposed to be rich. You're not always supposed to. You just need food that's convenient for you. Philippians 4. And all these sports people, I've seen wrestlers that have it, or ultimate fighters that have it on their chest. They're ignorant. He's not talking about beating somebody up in a fight or winning the game with a touchdown. It's not talking about that. Look here in Philippians 4. Ephesians, Philippians. I'll get to it in a minute. I flipped back to the wrong place. Philippians 4. You have to know where Paul is when he's writing these things. Paul is in a Philippian jail. This is called a prison epistle. You ought to write that down in front of the book. It's when Paul, after the ends of his journeys, if you good look at Acts, the 28th chapter, that's the end of Paul's life. He's in, a, he's in prison, under a guard, in Rome. He's already had his, all of his missionary journeys, and this is a prison epistle. He's at the end of his life. He's under a guard's protective eye, and they're going to cut his head off tradition tells us he's waiting to be executed when he's writing this book and he says 4 and 11 I'm not speaking in respect of want or what I want for I have learned I have learned he's not, not saying I have it together Manthano M-A-N-T-H-A-N-O I have, Manthano comes from Mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. Mathetuo, M-A-T-H. Mathetuo is the word teach. All these are forms of the same word. Manthano means to learn what has been taught you. And Mathetes is the word disciple, means a learner. Paul said, I am a disciple. I've learned through all my experiences. Here's what I've learned. I'm here at the end of my life. I've fought a good life. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me and not for me only, but all those that love it superior. He said, I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He's at the end of his life. And he had to learn. It's something you have to learn. He had to learn to be A-U-T-A-R-K-E-S. Autarkes. That's the word content. It's a form of auto, which is the word self. And archeo, A-R-K-E-O, which means to ward off or push away 
push away self. You see, you may have to wait till you get to death's door, but you'll know it's time to stop thinking about you. Now, I want to get into what is it that makes us drunk. It's this mixed religion. You know what it is? It's really amazing <clears throat> what's making you drunk in the world. You got too much of your opinion, too much of let us make us a name. Name is the word oh, is the word Shem. Babylon mothered all idolatry, and she did it. This was her doctrine. This was her drunken. Her drunkenness was in Shem. Shem is the word name in the Hebrew, and the in the Hebrew it's the word Shem. In the Greek it's the word Onoma. And when we say Hallowed be Thy name, we say Hallowed be Thy Onoma is what we say. We say Hagiazo, H A G I A Z O. Lord, I want to be content in getting rid of my name. And when we have our name, we have our authority. Shem means authority. Name means authority. And the authority of God is His Word. And we mix, when we mix our Word with His Word, we have a mixed religion. It is self what I think mixed with God's Word. Make sure when you say something that you know what you're talking about. This, I'm going to get back to what I was talking about before Christmas came. I'm going to get back to gossip. You have to absolutely know yourself before you start repeating something. I don't repeat things about people. Now, you shouldn't be repeating them to begin with. There should be no whispering, no gossiping. Because when you do that, usually you're involved in your name and you're mixing your daily life with God's truth. I think they did this and she did that. And it's my opinion that they are so and so. In order to clean up your life, you've got to clean up your drunkenness and get rid of your opinion. But what you've got, if you've got an uncleanness, the uncleanness is mixing truth with a lie. I've talked about that so many times. You know what this is? It's the sons of God and you're a son of God, the inner man. That's the inner man. Mixing your name or your opinion with the daughters of men. And what that produces in your life, you become a giant. Giant doesn't mean a tall man. Giant is the word nephil, N-E-P-H-I-Y-L-I-M. Nephilim, and the singular is nephil, and it doesn't mean somebody that's tall. It means a bully, a bully, 
or a tyrant. When you mix your opinion and you don't know exactly what you're talking about and you spew out, I think Christmas is okay. I think accepting gifts and giving gifts is okay. You do. Did you know that a gift will blind the mind and blind the eye? I want to go to that right now, but I'm not going to. Now, what you do, watch out that you don't, anything you spew out of your mouth, it takes age to come to a place of saying, whenever I have two people that I have to counsel, I'll tell both of them, I love you and I love you. But if you think because I'm your friend, I'll side with you, you're really wrong. I will not side with my wife if I feel like she's wrong and I've examined it all, so that's wrong. I will not go with her. You should not side with your wife or your husband just because you want to keep the peace. You should not go to a party or have a dinner or exchange gifts just to keep the peace. What you're doing is compromising. That's going to keep you drunk, make your life a mess. You'll be staggering around and bumping into everything. Look over here in Genesis, the sixth chapter. All this goes together. It's all part of the same picture. Genesis, the sixth chapter. It's going to take me several weeks. This is kind of bumping into what I was teaching on before we got into Christmas. It's running into all of the gossip and whispering and which you need to stop. Doesn't need to be going on. I weigh everything that I hear. Weigh everything. I evaluate it. If you tell me something, you better have proof of it. I don't care who you are. You better have unvarnished, absolute truth. The older I get, that's all I want. I don't want an opinion from my wife. If she says something, I say, I don't believe that. Learn that you're not in the same place your husband is in or your wife's in. Don't demand too much of them, but don't break them down and tear them apart or break your life down and tear it apart just because you don't want to make any enemies. You may have to make an enemy of your spouse to stand for truth. Now, some of you know that. Look here. We're going to look at this. If you're a son of God, this goes back to the mixing of religion. Look at verse 1. It came to pass when men began to multiply in the earth and the daughters were born unto them. <clears throat> That's the sons of God. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Now to be a son of God, this is not angels fallen from heaven. It is absolutely not that. To be a son of God, you have to be doing the will of your father. How could this be sons of Satan? It would be sons of Satan. The sons of God looked upon the daughters of men. It never occurs to most people when they're studying this 
to look back at chapters 5 and chapters 4. When you look back at chapter 5, you see the lineage of God and the people that are doing the will of God. My brothers and sisters are those who do the will of the Father, Jesus said. So the brothers and sisters in God's kingdom would be sons of God, wouldn't they? And you see in chapter 5, this is the book of the generation of Adam in the day that God created man and the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day in which they were created. <clears throat> Adam was the son of God. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth, which means substitute. Seth was a substitute of Abel. How do you know that? Well, in chapter chapter. 4, verse 25, Adam knew or had a sexual intimate relationship with his wife Eve, and she, again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth, which means substitute. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, or in the place of Abel whom Cain slew. And the custom of the Jews was that their surviving son would take the wife of the brother who's died and the first son would be his be the brother's seed so when you look at chapter 5 that is Abel's lineage Seth was the substitute for Abel and you can trace that chapter 5 all the way back to God in the first verse those are the sons of God but when you get to back to chapter 4 where in the world did Seth get his wife he married his sister. God always told Israel, marry with inside Israel. Marry your sisters. Don't marry these pagans. What will happen if you marry these pagans? You'll end up, the wife will stay at home. She'll teach the kids sun and tree worship. And you'll have sun and tree worship in your household. You'll put the family. But if you look back at chapter 4, and Cain kills Abel, and Cain has a curse brought upon him, and Cain starts having children. In verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod and east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife, but it doesn't trace back to God. These are sons of men here because it doesn't trace to God. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife, his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. Now there's an Enoch, a righteous Enoch, in chapter 5. This is one of Cain's children. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And it goes through Cain's lineage, and he doesn't trace back to God. So these are sons of men, unbelievers, and when you get into chapter 5, believers, sons of God. So when you get over here to chapter 6, you got sons of God, chapter 5, intermarrying with the daughters of men, the daughters of the sons of men of Cain's lineage. They saw they were beautiful women. So he says, the Lord said, 
Look at verse 2 of chapter 6. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man. Now, Baptists use that verse to quote it and to say another verse just as I beg people down the aisle. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about mixing religion, mixing marriage, mixing your truth with God's, with the devil's lie. And that also, that for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years, and there were giants in the earth in those days. The word is not tall men, it's the word bullies. And also after that, when the sons of God, or Seth's lineage, came into the daughters of men, the beautiful women that were descendants of Cain, I believe this is an absolute necessity because when they came out of the ark, one of the sons of Ham, Ham had sons, and he had a grandson called Nimrod, and Nimrod started the Babylonian system, the mother of all idolatry, which was a reproduction of the Garden of Eden worship or the tree worship in the garden. It was just redoing it again. And the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now the word renown is the word Shem. They became men of, of renown, or with a name. Let us make us a name. We say, hallowed be thy name. Get rid of my name. Your name is your authority when you mix God's truth with a lie. That's what Christmas is about. It's a drunken elixir. It has to, and we are lukewarm, and we have become drunk. Now, they've tried to make this fallen angels. To be, they've tried to make sons of God marrying the daughters of men fallen angels. That's ridiculous. A son of God has to be doing the will of his father. Look over here at Romans. Look at Romans. The 8th chapter, verse 14. Fallen angels are not sons of God. They don't qualify for that. Look here. Romans 8, verse 14. Fallen angels cannot possibly be sons of God. Sons of God are God's children. Daughters of men were daughters, were Gentile daughters of men. That entire lineage of chapter 5 goes all the way down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he says here in verse 14 of Romans 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That eliminates fallen angels, doesn't it? It's just not true. People are saying these angels fell from heaven, they intermarried with women, they produced these gigantic tall men. Let me tell you something about giants. I've been around giants in my day, and they weren't tall men. You go into a Baptist church, you try to tell a preacher about predestination, he'll show you what a giant he is. Now, sir, we don't believe that here. You're going to have to leave. 
uh, or keep quiet. That's a giant. That's a bully. That's a tyrant. When people tell you you cannot tell the truth and they want to lord themselves over you and stop you from saying what God said, that's a giant. That's a mixed religion. We don't believe that here. You try to tell a preacher about Christmas when they're having Christmas, they're going to have that. They will tell you that real quick. They may be real nice while they're being a giant, while they're being a bully. You'll have to leave here if you're going to do that, young man. I've had people tell me that when I was young. Now look over here in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Besides that, angels do not marry. I don't know where in the world they say the sons of God marry the daughters of men. They're saying fallen angels intermarried with women and brought about these giants. Now I want to know something. I do not mean to be crude. Where in the world and whoever came up with the idea that angels had genitalia and had a reproductive system that they could enter uh, intercopulate with women that were human. You can't even get a deer to copulate with a cow. People stay with their own kind of people. Humans with humans, not angels with humans. Where in the world did they ever come up with that? It's foolish. Look here in Matthew 22. Matthew 22. I don't know how people miss all these, but they do. Verse 23, Now the same day came to him, to Jesus, Sadducees, which say there's no resurrection. And they asked him. The Sadducees did not believe in a physical resurrection of the body. And they asked Jesus, Master, they're trying to trick him. Master, Moses said if a man died, having no children... And his brother shall marry his wife. That started with Seth. Seth married Abel's wife, his brother. That even was carried on in the 38th chapter of Genesis, where that, where that Judah had a son, and he married a wife, Tamar, and he would not carry on his brother's lineage. He'd withdraw from her when it came time to copulate. he withdraw. He said, I'm not going to raise up a, 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 a brother to my brother. I'm not going to raise up a son to my brother. And God got angry and killed him. But had, he was supposed to do that. And finally, since Judah wouldn't give Tamar... The last son he had, she went out and played the harlot. What was Judah going into a harlot? Well, that's just the way he was not really mature like he should have been. He went into this harlot out in the street, and that was actually Tamar disguised as a harlot, and she became pregnant, and, he, and she says, what are you going to give me to prove that you're going to come back? And she was just in a harlot's little den or little place in the street. And he said, she said, I want your bracelet there. I want your staff. And 
you that'll prove to me that you're going to come back and bring me a lamb. Your pay for my sexual favors. Of course, she was doing something righteous because she was keeping the seed of Judah going called the scepter will never depart from Judah nor lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. So she was keeping the seed alive of Judah. And he was out getting his kicks with a harlot, he thought. And then when they get back home, some of the people come to him and says, your daughter-in-law is with child. She's pregnant. And Judah gets angry. He has her brought in and says, all right, who is the father of this child? You're going to have to die. She said, whoever this bracelet belongs to. <laughs> and whoever this staff belongs to, that's whose it is. And Judah dropped his head and said, I have sinned. I haven't given you the son that you deserve. And that's how the lineage of God kept going. And that's what he's talking about here. Same thing. If a man died having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother, and likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh, and the last of all the women died, and therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her sexually. And Jesus saith unto them, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. To give in marriage means to intermarry two different things. Ex gemas. Ex. Huh? But are as the angels. That's right. But are they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels. The angels don't marry nor given in marriage. Oh, how can those be fallen angels over there in in uh, Genesis? It's not fallen angels. They're not given in marriage. Given in marriage means to marry two different things that don't belong together. That's truth marrying a lie. That's what Christmas is. It's truth that is married alive. Well, this Jesus born in a manger. No repentance at this time of the year. Everybody throws out their message of repentance and daily cross and debt to self at Christmas time. Let's all join hands and get together and praise God for giving us this baby Jesus. But he never gets to the cross and he's never resurrected at Christmas. They called him the eternal boy at Rome. Get that out of to Babylon's. Look over here. Where did I say? Look over here in Matthew. Matthew, the. Uh, I was going somewhere in Matthew. But are as the angels. They don't marry. Look over in Matthew 24. If it went on in the days of Noah, whatever happened in the days of Noah is going to be happening in the days of of the coming of the Son of Man. Look over in Matthew 24. The apostles come to Jesus and they say, 
<clears throat> Lord, they take him to the temple to show him the temple. It's about 28 acres. It's Herod's temple. Gigantic place. They're proud of it, of the temple. Verse 2, Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there, there will not be left here one stone upon the other that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be when one stone is not left upon another? Well, one stone is not left upon another is going to happen in 70 A.D. But the apostles thought the temple is so huge it'll last to the end of time, so they coupled that with their question. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy parousia, your physical arrival, and of the end of the world. I'm not going to go into that. There's a lot to say about that. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed. Here's what's going to happen up to the end of time. I'm not going to go through this whole chapter. He says, Many will come. They'll say that I am Christ. That puzzled me. How could they be deceiving if they said they were Christ. They're not going to say they're Christ. They're not. The only way you can deceive, you have to admit that Jesus is the Christ, but you've got to change his words. There have, he said, they're going to say that I am the Christ. They're not going to say they're Christ. You can't deceive saying that. They're going to say I'm Christ, and they'll deceive many. And then there'll be wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, They'll deliver you to be afflicted, and you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And the love of many will wax cold. The agape, walking in the commandments of God, will begin to die. In verse 12, you'll see the abomination of desolation. Some will say he is Christ to there. Don't believe it. He says, when they say that, believe it not. He's in the desert. Go not forth. He's in the secret chamber. I saw Jesus in my bedroom one night. Don't you believe your grandmother? She says that. She's probably been smoking something that night. Then he says down here, after the tribulation of those days, in verse 29, here's what's going to happen. And he says, at the very end, the signing of the last trump, the Son of Man is going to come. After the tribulation of those days, the Lord will send his angels with every sound of a trumpet. And the last one hadn't sounded yet, and this is at the end of time. And then he says, in verse 33, or verse 32, Now learn a parable of the fig tree when its branches yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when ye shall see all these things, then know that it is near even at the doors. When you see all these things that we just read, it's at, I believe it's at the door now. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. He said he'll give us a season when we see the things happening described in this chapter, then we'll know it's at the door, not even at the door. Then he says in verse 36, <clears throat> But of that day and hour, of the exact time, nobody knows, but you'll know the season. 
but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, what were they doing in the days of Noah? The sons of God were marrying the daughters of men. Truth was marrying a lie. This is going to be happening at the end of time. It won't be giant men walking around on the earth intermarrying with Christian women. Like I said before, the tallest men in the world that we know of are the Watusis in Africa, the NFL. You got guys 6'8", 6'9", 7 foot, the NBA, Shaquille O'Neal, 7 foot 1, 7 2, Got a bunch of guys in it, seven three, seven five. That's the tallest man in the world. Uh, the WWE, the Wrestling Federation. These guys are the tallest men we know of. So if we're at the end of time, these are guys that don't have to run off, be running away with our Christian wives and having children and become giants, right? It's ridiculous. If we're in the last days. It's got to be giant men, these NFL wrestlers, NFL players, NBA people. That's all I know of that can be intermarrying. Like I said, Shaquille O'Neal, who's about seven foot two, seven one, will have to be running off of my wife Mary, and she's four foot seven. That's how stupid that doctrine is. Sons of God, if it's happening. In Genesis 6, it has to be happening at the end of time. For as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days of Noah were, before the flood they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Marrying two things that don't belong together. Truth marrying a lie. Angels do not give in marriage. The Bible says so in Matthew 22, didn't it? Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You're going to have this mixed religion. Where do people come up with this thing? Angels intermarry with men. First of all, they try to pull this out of Jude. How much time do I have, Mike? 16. I'm not going to get through this. I'll just read this in Jude, and then I'll go to the part I want you to understand about. What we've got is a mixture. It's going to take me a couple or three weeks or more to get to all this. Job, right before Psalms, first chapter, and they try to make this angels. It's ridiculous. Let's look at this. All right. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. For some reason, they think this is fallen angels. Well, are we sons of God? We've concluded that we are. How do we, how do we present ourselves to the Lord? Through prayer through bowing to his will. And Satan came also among them. That don't mean because Satan is coming along with our prayers or however we present ourselves to God that these are fallen angels because he's 
He's around us as we are presenting ourselves to God. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? They take that one verse and make that fallen angels. I'll read that. Read the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has you considered my servant Job? And then we got the story of Job. That's not the point I want to get to you was about the sons of God and the daughters of men. Where did this come from? People talking about sons of God being fallen angels. We've concluded they can't be sons of God. God's sons do his will. When Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8, your father is the devil. I know you're of the seed of the sperm of Abraham, but he's not your father. If he were your father, you would do a son was the one that would do the will of his father. I said it before, when Jesus said, my brothers and sisters are those who do the will of the father. Well, his brothers and sisters are sons of God, aren't they? You have to be doing the will of God. It's not, these are fallen angels. That's the craziest thing. And do you know a majority of the so-called scholars around America believe that? A lot of the people you... Hal Lindsey teaches that. Jack Van Ippy teaches it. It's crazy. Let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from a set of books I've got. It's called Legends of the Jews. Legends. It is a legend. It's myth. Legends of the Jews, this is a seven-volume set. It's by a man named Ginsberg. Berg is always a Jew. B-E-R-G, B-U-R-G. All the Bergs. Dated a girl named Rydberg. I didn't know she was a Jew till I grew up and found out all the Bergs were Jews. When I was 16. <laughs> the Fallen Angels. This is the Legends of the Jews. It's a seven volume set. It's things that they made up. The depravity of mankind which began to show itself in the time of Enosh. Had increased monstrously in the time of his grandson Jared. That's in the fifth chapter of Genesis. You can look at their lineage. By reason of the Fallen Angels. When the angels saw the beautiful, attractive daughters of men, they lusted after them and spoke. We would choose wives for ourselves. Their chief, and I don't know where in the world they come up with their chief. Their chief, Shemhazi, said, I fear me, yet will not put this plan of yours into execution. I alone have to suffer the consequences of the great sin. 200 angels. Where did they get that? Didn't get it that out of the Bible. 200 angels descended to the summit of Mount Hermon, which owes its name to the very occurrence, because they bound themselves there to fulfill their purpose. If you can believe this fairy tale, then you won't understand what's happening at the end of time, that there is a mixed drunken religion going on in the world, and that's what's happening today. An irrational, demonic 
thinking, demonic, not there are no such thing as demons, distributing fortunes thinking. The word demon, demonion, means to distribute fortunes. Under the leadership of 20 captains, these angels come down. They defile themselves with daughters of men unto whom they taught charms, conjuring, formulas, how to cut roots, and the efficacy of plants. Now, that's really important, isn't it? The issue from these mixed marriages was a race of giants, 3,000 L's tall. 3,000 L's. Three. Thought I had one was writing. 3,000 L's tall. That's how tall they were. Now, all you have to do is take a Webster's Dictionary like I did and look up the word L, E-L-L. -L. It will tell you what it is. And L was, was uh, 45 inches. 45 inches. Guess how tall these angels are going to be. 45 inches is an L, equals an L. And therefore, the 3,000 times 45, 3,000 L's times 45 is going to be 135,000 inches. That would be 11,000 250 feet tall or two-thirds the height of Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs. That's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? That's where it comes from. Legends of the Jews. You believe that? Where are they, how are they going to cohabitate? How are they going to copulate? How are they going to feed, how is she going to feed her husband? She's going to have to get her a bullhorn or something. There, here, here, here. I got supper ready, 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 ready. Uh, you're going to have to get over to Titan Stadium. I got it full of soup, 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 soup. Ridiculous. Where's he go to sleep? Empty his bowl so he can sleep in it? He can't even get in Titan Stadium. He's going to be several miles high. It's insanity. Where are the fallen angels? Tartarus. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it, say, Dave? Doesn't it, Dave? Yep. And where's that? Hell. I mean, where is it in the Bible? Oh, in Jude and Second Peter. Jude and Second Peter. Dave's been paying attention now, but you Second Peter. Go to Second Peter. I'm not through with this. I can't finish this this week. What we've got is a mixed religion with Christmas. Everybody says it's okay. We've got a reason for these giants. That way they can be wandering around stomping on everybody because they're so big. Look here in 
Second Peter. Second chapter. Look at verse 4. And if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, the only place that's mentioned in the Bible, Tartarus, and you can find where they were cast into Tartarus, the lowest pit of hell. You can find that in Revelation 12. That's where Michael the death angel corralled them and threw them into hell. Them into Tartarus. And it says they are there till eternity. Delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Reserved is the word tereo. Means they are guarded. Means to guard like they're in a vault. And they can't get out. They have to stay there. Till judgment comes. And you got it in Jude. The same. Jude and Second Peter, the second chapter, are parallel chapters. Jude says the basic thing, same, same things that Second Peter, the second chapter, says. Look over here in Jude. In verse 6. And the angels was kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation in heaven. He hath reserved in everlasting chains. Reserved is the same word, tereo. He's reserved in everlasting chains. It doesn't mean literal chains. They have been locked into a place they can't get out of. Under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. They're reserved. They're, they're watched over. They're guarded. They can't come out. They're not wandering around the earth intermarrying women. It's a crazy doctrine. Do I have any time? Five. Huh? Five. Five minutes. Let me go back over. I've got other places where that the Lord will tell well, let's look at Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. God says all through the Bible, do not give your daughters, give your sons to the daughters of the pagans. If you do, they'll intermarry with them. When they intermarry with them, they'll bring it into Israel and they'll be having these, having Israel worship these gods. Look here in Deuteronomy 7. God commands them not to do that. This is not about black marrying white. That's the clan picked this these verses up and say, "So you black's not supposed to marry white." You're idiots. You're kind of stupid along with these preachers that talk about sons of God marrying daughters of men. It's not talking about that. Moses was married to a black woman, to an Ethiopian. Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, got upset at him for that. And God, and God got furious. God told Moses, you tell Aaron to come to the door of the t temple. I want to see him. I don't know why God did it that way, but he did. Aaron came over there and God went into a rage against Aaron. Said, 
I will kill you for murmuring against my servant Moses. This marriage was my doing. Nobody else's but mine. And he says here, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, and the Hittites, and the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and they were all worshipping sun and tree gods. And when the Lord thy God shall, marry, shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them, because they worship the wrong gods. Not because of their color. Thy daughter shall not, thou shalt not give unto his son or his daughter, shalt thou take unto thy sons, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods, not because of their color. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. When you go after their gods and you intermarry what you're doing, you have sons of God marrying daughters of men. And you are my sons. Don't you marry these daughters of these pagans. But thus shall you deal with them, and you shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down the groves, the Asherah, the tree goddesses, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, Ones that believe me, my sons, above all people that are upon the face of the earth, and the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of people. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and only few will find it. We are not supposed to be mixing our opinions with the world's opinions. God wants to purify our lives. He didn't want to put us at each other's throats. You've heard me say this a thousand times. I will not argue with anybody anymore. I won't put my opinion in because I like you better than somebody else. I may, you may be a closer friend, but I will not show you any favors. I won't show my wife any. I won't show my son any my daughter-in-law, my grandsons. No favors. Truth is a truth. But make sure you know it before you spew it out. Because if you don't, you're interjecting a lie with the truth. And that gets you drunk. And you get to where you don't mind just staggering around here and there after every wind of doctrine. Am I out of time? I'm going to come back next week. I have not exhausted this at all. I want us to really see how drunk you can get. And what's so bad about Christmas? It's because it makes you drunk. You're satisfied with status quo. And you won't grow. And you stagger around bumping into everything. And becoming apostate. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth.
help the church to realize we need to be pure in our thoughts, pure in our mouth. Put a muzzle on us, Lord, if you have to. Lord, I pray that you will mature this church, cause us to live the way we should, live holy and righteously and godly. Help the believers to understand how they need to live. It takes a long time to learn. Fight our battles. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I got to come back to more of this. This sack of potatoes on me. You sure do, Josh. Yeah. She's sleeping. <laughs> She's out of it, no. Yeah. I've been meaning to get with you lately. I just haven't felt good. I know, I know. I understand. No been a little down. We'll no get problem. together. Unless God come back, I think we'll have time. Okay. I <laughs> <laughs>
You sure do, Joe. Yeah. She's sleeping. <laughs> She's out of it, huh? Yeah. I've been meaning to get with you lately. I just haven't felt good. I know, I know. I understand. No been a little down. We'll no get problem. together. Unless God come back, I think we'll have time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love